Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is your host, Abby Martin, creator of MediaRoots.org. And this is your co-host, Robbie Martin. Just wanted to remind everyone that Media Roots is an independently funded grassroots media organization, and we're always encouraging donations to help keep this project going if you guys want to see um, us continue broadcasting. So please consider that, and thanks so much for listening to our show. So we wanted to begin this show just by talking about the crazy protests and the revolution that's happening in Egypt, totally out of the blue, I mean, seemingly for the outside world, it just kind of erupted. We had the Tunisian revolts going on and then all of a sudden just Egypt it seemed like overnight all of this just went down um, it's been what a week and a day as we're broadcasting this um, since since everything started right now over 300 people are dead over 600 are injured um, who knows that was last night's toll but we just saw a bunch of videos of car military cars running people over and there's all these provocateur groups out there and throwing rocks and with knives and weapons. And so I don't know the update on that, but it's just really, really crazy. Yeah. The whole thing is, um, very interesting to me from the, from the point of view of the way the United States and the Western media is framing it. The Obama administration has been extremely lukewarm in trying to reach out to the protesters. Um, they're, they're simultaneously saying that Mubarak is a good friend and ally. I mean, people have been pulling these quotes from Obama saying that Mubarak is a personal friend of his and he respects him very much and he's a great man. Um, someone who is widely labeled as one of the worst human rights abusers in the entire world. Um, as far as a figurehead, I mean, next to Kim Jong-il and other you know, other dictators, um, you'll find his name commonly lumped in with those when it comes to human rights abusers. Right. Um, and we give Egypt over $1.5 billion a year in aid. They're the second largest recipients of U.S. aid other than Israel. Um, so we're just giving them more than $1.5 billion every year. They probably spend it all on their military. All the weapons that the military is using are all U.S. made. It's just, it's a disgrace. I'm, I'm actually really surprised that it took this long for Egypt to have some sort of rebellion like this or something this large. Because when I first heard about the ties between Israel and Egypt in the United States, I remember thinking it was surprising to me that Egypt wasn't more ostracized or more talked about among, you know, more Muslim people or more anti-Zionist uh, people, because it's totally obvious that Benjamin Netanyahu, he's, he's in love with Mubarak. I mean, he doesn't want the regime to collapse. Um, he doesn't want it to change because Israel and Egypt and the United States are like a trifecta of power in the Middle East for, for as long as I've lived. Mm -hmm. They have been. Absolutely. Yeah. Mubarak has ruled Egypt, I mean, completely like totalitarian uh, for 30 years. And even after there's hundreds of thousands of people out in the street, he still is saying that he will not step down. He's saying that he won't step down because there'll be utter chaos if he does. Well, guess what? There's utter chaos if you don't step down. <laughs> I love that. The old adage, don't leave because then it'll go into utter chaos. It'll be a disaster. It's the same argument that we use for not leaving the wars that we're engaged in. It's just like, well, what are we going to do if we leave? It's just going to be chaotic. It's like, fine, we'll just stay and just keep killing people and raping resources. I mean, I don't... <laughs> it's just like a false dichotomy. It's like, let's get the hell out of there. But yeah, Mubarak, he's desperate right now. Um, first, he tried to appoint a VP, Omar Suleiman. I don't know if that's the way you pronounce his name. Um, but so he tried to put in a VP for the first time 
in 30 years. At first, Al Jazeera was like hailing this guy as like a distinguished man and very respectable. And then it came out later that day that he was actually the the head of the U.S. rendition torture program (laughs) in Egypt. So we're talking about a guy who carries out torture. I mean, rendition is where we export. But Abby, Obama doesn't torture. What are you talking about? (laughs) We do it in other countries. We just have, you know, we just have other, we just have other dictators do it for us. That's not the American way. (laughs) Also, Egypt shut down the internet. They shut down all lines of communication. Those are back up right now, but it just shows you how scary it is and how easy it is for people, for government leaders to just shut down communication lines. I mean, the Egyptians were forced to go like grassroots person to person because they didn't have phones and they didn't have the internet. It's terrifying. I mean, it kind of calls into question, like, what would happen here? Would Obama shut down the internet if there was a mass revolt? Not that I think that there will be in this country. It seems yeah, like we just the, take a lot. In the United States, you know, people like to talk a big game, the Tea Partiers, especially in the, in, the, in the militia people. From what I've seen of American uprisings and protests in the last 30, 40 years, I mean, this is all stuff that happened after the Vietnam War. We are deeply, deeply crippled as far as a resistance force, a, a, a resistance force that sh- that provides anything threatening to the establishment. And these SWAT team forces that go out onto the streets during the G8 and stuff. I mean, did you see the way that they were tapping their batons to a rhythm as they're walking yeah. forward on like a, like a Nazi march? It's such a stark difference when you watch these Egyptian protests that it's it's how a protest should be. It's that they should be putting fear in the hearts of the establishment. I truthfully think that, I mean, other than North Korea, I can't think of like another country that's as dumbed down and they're just like, I mean, they're sheltered. They don't even have an option, but we're just so dumbed down and we have the world at our fingertips and we just don't seek out any information. It's just astounding. And I, I wanted to go back really quick to point out a sacrosanct myth that Nobody really questions, even kind of intellectual liberal types go along with this idea um, because they want to see more worldly and understanding of of world events and strategy. But to say something like, you know, the region is going to become unstable if Egypt collapses, it's going to start a cascade of instability. You know, we need that U.S. ally there to keep things stable. These are all things that go unquestioned. Why is that? I mean, really examine that. Why does the U.S. need to have propped up puppets in very hot regions of the world to keep our standing in the world stable? It makes no sense. It's like you just explained it with with that right there. It's that it's to keep us stable. But we I mean, give, in reality, about- is it really? It only keeps us stable maybe for a, in a short window of time. It's like a... Oh, no, yeah. It's a no. very short term um, ends justifies the means not thinking about the long term consequences of stirring things up and propping up torturous regimes in that area. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it doesn't keep us stable. It keeps us unstable for sure. The fact that we're meddling and in, in inserting these puppet dictators. I was just saying that the rhetoric of the establishment, we need <laughs> we need to keep these people like under our thumb. If you look at it, it, it is actually damaging us. If you believe in the blowback theory or any, any of these things that come out of our involvement in the Middle East, then yeah, it's it's totally ridiculous. And I think one of the worst variations of what I just said is uh, when you hear people say, well, Israel's the only ally that we have in the Middle East that's a democracy. They're the only functioning democracy in the Middle mm-hmm. East. It's just so funny because they're one of the most destructive, out of control and psychotic regimes in the Middle East that has been openly, continually aggressive to all of their neighbors. Right. But yet we talk about Iran as if they're the most tyrannical. However, they don't threaten their neighbors. They issue vague you know, anti-Israel statements on a regular basis, but they never say things like, we're going to surprise nuke attack uh, Israel, which Israel has said on numerous occasions about Iran. 
Yeah, and and the whole Iran thing. I mean, think back on the Iranian, the Green Revolution, quote unquote, that happened a year ago. And what Obama did as a reaction to that, he actually talked to Twitter personally and begged them to not shut down their communications networks, to keep it keep it open and free. And the media was just... I mean, it was disgusting. If you see in comparison to how the media was acting during the Iranian revolution last year and how they're acting now, it's astounding. I mean, their coverage of it is just so propaganda based. Yeah. And and I think um, this is a good opportunity to just talk about ways that you that a normal person without much experience, you know, watching the media can try to dissect this propaganda. Like you were just saying, like compare, for example, the Iranian Revolution media coverage, Western media coverage, with what's happening now. What are the, some of the starkest differences that that come to mind, in, like instantaneously for you? The starkest differences right now, after after it's been going on for about a week or so now, um, Mubarak has these like provocateurs that are out, so now the news is is portraying them as they're just like organically. Just this organic movement of pro-Mumbaric uh, uprisers. It doesn't yeah. make any sense. It's like, of course they're provocateurs. They're obviously like, where were they a week ago? If they mm-hmm. if they're pro-Mumbaric, how do they just randomly show up a week into the protest and start throwing stones and becoming really violent and aggressive? It just seems really odd. And the fact that we just our media is totally unquestioning of that and reporting as if it's just this organic thing that is really it is blatant. it is very interesting. One of the one of the things that comes to mind is how. The U.S. media is portraying the supposed good protesters. They're trying to to make all these dents, tarnish the image of this this uprising as being good. The first thing that I saw about it was the media made a huge deal out of some of the mummy looting, looting like the, yeah. the museum looting and the and the the damage that was done to some of the mummies. Um, what does it have to do with the, the uprising? I mean, yeah, during chaos in any region, people are bound to do stupid, idiotic things like raid Foot Locker. I mean, in Oakland, that's what happened we during the Oscar Grant the rally. We let Iraqi museums when we invaded. Yeah, the U.S. soldiers <laughs> eluded the crap out of those. I mean, they it's, it's absurd. And some of the other things that I read today, for example, both on ABC News, actually, who seems to be predominantly behind this. It also was curious to me how Christine Ampour was the only one to get an exclusive interview with Mubarak, um, ABC News reporter. Yeah, and Obama talked personally on the phone to Mubarak like last night for a half an hour, kind of coaxing him into, hey, you know, let me give you some advice on what you should do. It's like, this this guy's disgusting. I mean, the whole coverage in general of this compared to Iran, it was like the media was just like, yeah, Iran, Iran's um, having a revolution. This is so great. Like, let's support the people. And now it's just like, well, if Egypt has a revolution and they and Mubarak steps down. It's going to be totally chaotic. And the and Muslims are going to take over. The Muslim Brotherhood <laughs> is is you know a terrorist uh, organization. They're going to take over. You know, I see polls. I was on this message board and somebody posted a poll saying seventy five percent of Egyptians uh, polled say that they would prefer to have stoning for adultery. I don't believe that. I, first of all, I don't believe that poll. I think that it's probably pretty hard to take a poll during this kind of chaos. <laughs> yeah, who's Second out of there all, polling? I mean, I don't know when the poll is taken, but but I just find it curious that this kind of thing comes out now, um, propped up by the mainstream media. 
let's think about this logically. Iran already has stoning. Do you think if they pulled those people who were rising up against Ahmadinejad, I mean, they probably would have found the same result, that the people who were part of the revolution in Iran would have wanted some question, things that we um, we as Americans would find very distasteful. Yeah. But yet we stand behind them 100% and say that it's great. Go ahead, you know, overthrow Ahmadinejad. We don't talk about the vacuum that would be created in his um, downfall. We don't talk about any of these things. And it's just, to me, that's that's a great way to just dissect the propaganda is to just to compare very similar events to one another. Notice the differences between how they're, they're covered. And you have to question why are there differences? I think it's important to realize, and it, it's just from dissecting the propaganda and realizing why we take a hard line with some countries and why we don't. It's what we need from these countries. It's who is an ally with the United States? We don't give a shit about the people. I mean, I hope people realize that. We don't care if Egypt has a revolution. We don't give a shit about the people that live there. We don't care if they have rights. No, absolutely um, not. We care what we can get from the Egyptian dictator. We care about having a stronghold in the Middle East. He's our puppet. He's our good friend. And so we, you just need to look at who who are the the players in this game. Just don't get duped by the media or by anyone. Don't forget for a second that our government doesn't care. Yeah. About human life or, or people's rights. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, they, I mean, they don't. I mean, to them, Egypt is a giant chess piece, and it's sitting there and strategically placed, and we feel like that piece is being taken, taken away from us, and we yeah. want it back. That's To me, that's as simple as it gets. And when it comes to, like, why we treated the Iranian Revolution so differently is because Ahmadinejad is not bought and paid for by the United States. He's not a puppet by us. He may be a puppet of some other groups there, um, you know, some other more hardline Islamic groups, but he's definitely not able to be bought off by us. So since he's not, we want them out of there completely. We don't care about the consequences of him being gone and a vacuum being created in his absence. We only care about it when it comes to countries that are that are our puppets and that have some sort of strategic value to us to maintain. Perfect example of just how we back just these horrifying dictatorships, um, not only through our own government, but through just U.S. corporations. There's a corporation called Naris. It's based in Sunnyvale, California, and it basically sold Telecom Egypt their software to surveil and like track everyone, and that's what they've been using over there to just track the population and shut down all communication services. They've been using the backing of a U.S. corporation that's based in the Bay Area. It's just, it's scary to me. It's really scary that we don't talk about how just U.S. corporations are playing a role in the media crackdown and the communications control over there. I just think it's awfully disingenuous to cast some sort of, well, the people who are going to take over after Mubarak leaves are, are Muslims, you know, hardliner Muslims. It's, it's disingenuous to focus in on that aspect of it because we never, we only talk about that when we want to cast some sort of aspersions on these people. It's, to me, it's not relevant to the discussion about these people rising up against what they perceive as a dictator. Mm -hmm. Every time an uprising happens like this, where the U.S. is worried about it, we're very um, tentative about our association with it until we're 100% sure that that dictator or that leader will fall. So as soon as we have the go-ahead, like we know that Mubarak has no chance, then the U.S. will start just switching 180 mm -hmm. and be like, oh, yeah, we're for the people. We're 100 percent with you. You know, the Egyptians, Obama and, and the rest of the White House is waiting for that signal that Mubarak will not be able to maintain control of his country. Yeah, because we want to get in on the next person who's going to take his place Absolutely, so we can yeah. try to pay him Absolutely. off. <laughs> um, we've been kind of contemplating how this got started and. You know, you can only take so much abuse and just being 
put down by your government, I guess, for so long, three decades of just suppression and total control. I just read a statistic that over half of the population in Egypt survives on less than $2 a day. Oh, well. You know, there's only so much you can take. Um, but today is the first day that we see this kind of, this Mubarak-sponsored counter-protest going on. Um, and I'm reading this report right now in Democracy Now! that's just talking about groups of 50 to 100 men that are basically plainclothes policemen that Mubarak has paid. And they're going out in the streets, throwing Molotov cocktail bombs, setting stuff on fire, knifing people, throwing rocks. So this is this is war now. Um, this is not just a pro-democracy revolution that's peaceful like it was. Um, so they're trying to instigate some shit and they are really desperate. And, and what I read too is that is that the military itself has not really jumped on board of either side yet. Mm-hmm. They're waiting to see what their allegiance is going to be. So these plainclothes people are like hired goons. Right. Um, they're all plainclothes. Some of them may be ex-military or current military, but they're dressed in normal civilian clothes with like kind of like the black bloc anarchist people. I mean, some of those people I'm sure are real in American protests but a good number of them are obviously provocateurs. I oh, mean, yeah. what they do, and what do you think is going to happen when you go out with gas mask and if your face covered and start throwing rocks at people? I mean, they're going to they're gonna be violent back. Well, we even heard, I mean, yeah, and it's speculated that a lot of these black bloc anarchists at the G20 and G8 protests are um, sponsored by the government, but it's actually proven in some Canadian broadcast, I think it was like, at the last G20 um, in Canada, it was revealed that they were they were police officers. A couple of them were detained, and yeah, it was just it was exposed. So these people are hired to be provocateurs to go and cause violence, so then they can just dismiss the entire movement and mm-hmm. just be like, "Oh, they're all violent." And it works every time. It it's works such a every time. It's, it's such a shocking. It's, it works too well. And and if any black bloc protester anarchists are listening right now. I just want to tell you that you're a really disgusting person. And, and I mean, if you actually... <laughs> how do you sleep at night? How do you sleep at night knowing that you're basically following in the footsteps of CIA's Operation Mockingbird and doing things that only disrupt and put a, a squelch actual Stifle protests? change. You're just stifling progress. Yeah. It's inevitable. Like, screw you guys. Yeah. <laughs> I have zero respect for you. The uh, Yeah. And, and just to go back to the, the G20 thing, it was really shocking to see the footage of just the massive uprising of people just of all ages and all walks of life protesting the fact that there's this billion dollars thrown away on a security force blocking all these elitists talking about God knows what their global you know domination plans and then you see um, all the news footage was just like showing these cop cars burning and these black bloc people like going and smashing windows, but the independent press was totally exposing the fact that these black bloc people were like lighting cars on fire and smashing windows and all the security forces that they had spent a billion dollars on were just sitting there and watching it happen and letting them do it. And there was a couple people who filmed it all showing like, look, the cops aren't even yeah, doing anything. Yeah, the cops they were just like standing there milling around while some guy was setting a police car on fire. Yeah, I remember watching of, that and, video. And they loved that footage. Yeah. That was over and over again, yep. that cop car on fire. Just like, it's unbelievable. Um, let's Let's read some of the headlines from ABC, Fox News, and just CBS News about Egypt and how propagandized they are just insidiously. Yeah, what I like about this article you're about to read a little bit of is that it's a conflation of multiple things, and it's not really spoken directly at the reader, but it's basically trying to say that the Egyptian protesters are crazy Muslims that want to kill you. I mean, that's the se- yeah. that's the hidden message in this article, but it's interesting the way that it's well, you, you read the headline, first the, of all. The headline, in, the headline is Egypt. ABC News reporter Brian Hartman threatened with beheading. 
And, wow. And I, you know, that's weird protesters. to me. I, I have to say that I remember that headline saying something different this morning. I remember it saying, ABC News reporter Brian Hartman threatened with beheading by Egyptian protesters. I, I, I remember it saying that. So they've changed the headline, first of all. And the actual article goes down. And one of the first things they show is Christine Ampour on the streets of Egypt in that square being told by a group of Egyptian men that they hate her and other Americans. And she felt like she had to leave because she was like under, you know, she was worried about her safety. It has nothing to do with the headline at all that the ABC News reporter Brian Hartman was threatened with beheading from pro-Mubarak groups. It was not the anti-Mubarak protesters who threatened him. You actually have to go halfway down the article to find that out. Which is just, it goes to show you how people digest news now. It's just like these sound bites, they just read headlines, and of course they're going to get this crazy narrative that if they don't read the article, and if they don't seek out other alternative perspectives, they're just going to think, oh my god, these protesters are threatening to behead media. Yeah, they're, <laughs> media they're, people. they're threatening to behead us. These animals these behead animals people. I mean, it's back to, the, back to our first episode, what we talked about. I mean, it's a way to dehumanize other people. And to disconnect yourself from them. So your, your empathy is to cut just, off. Justify their dehumanization. Like, yeah. Just like because say, if like, you oh, see a group them. of them talking about how they hate Americans, that's going to make a lot of, Ameri- you know, kind of generic, more jingoistic Americans very pissed off to watch that. And they're going to start hating these people. It, it's so well crafted, this propaganda that the U.S. media puts out that they have it down to a science. It's every article on ABC News right now is has some sort of undertone, which is basically saying that these Muslim people in Egypt are scary and they're going to be a threat. And on FoxNews.com, you know, the main article says no end in sight to Egypt clashes. OK, but right underneath the tagline just says protesters and government supporters clash for a second day. Okay, first of all, it's not saying that these people are basically Mubarak thugs that have just showed up out of the woodwork. They're making it seem like it's just, once again, it's an organic uprising of just pro-government supporters who are just now clashing with the protesters. I mean, it's totally misinformation. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. I mean, just, just little word changes like that.
concerned to find out what's going on at the end of the day inside the square. And very menacing messages were directed our way. Don't go there, they said. Don't take your camera or else you'll meet your destiny. What's happening in the square? We had American, we had any country more. Okay, go to any place more. You want us to go? Yes, I want you to go to from here. Why? Because we are hurt you. We had American. You hate us? Yes, I hate you and I hate you. Why do you hate us? You are not good personal. Go to any place more, please go to any place more. You are not with us. Okay, you are not with us. We want to Mubarak. We want to Mubarak. We want to Mubarak. I think the most noteworthy thing about the video is not necessarily the content of it, although we're going to talk about that too and and why they feel that way against Americans, but that it's, it's, it's omitting other interviews um, of people on the streets in Egypt that, that aren't acting threatening towards the reporters. I mean, I'm sure there's been many times where reporters have gone on the streets, interviewed people, and there hasn't been some sort of conflict and tension between the reporter and the people. But yet ABC chooses to put that video prominently on their front page at the very top. Yeah, you, I mean, you have to call why. into question. Yeah, why why would they choose that video? And think about this. Let's say that we had a puppet dictator that was totally controlling the United States for like 30 years. And that China had funded his whole regime and paid him, you know, over a billion dollars a year and pretty much like bought our entire military. And if we had an uprising and we just saw tanks rolling around the street that said made in China, while knowing that this whole time um, the dictator was pretty much funded, just kept in power from China. I, I just can't help but think, how would we feel about China? So why is it so shocking that these people are telling them, you know, we hate America? I mean... Why yeah. Is so shocking. Um, I mean, it's it's not shocking, but I guess, I mean, to eighty percent of Americans, it would be really insulting. Uh, but I but guess I mean, Americans should think about that scenario and yeah, think like, ag- what would agreed, they think? Of course, Lori made a good point. Who's actually just arrived in our studio? Hello, Media Roots listeners. Hello, Lori. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we were just having a little conversation before you got on about just what's going on in Egypt and. Um, the the fact that you know we pretty much have propped up Mubarak for the last thirty years and he's a good ally of ours. The uh, Amy Goodman Noam Chomsky thing that I haven't even seen yet or listened to, where they talk about that we we don't switch sides until we absolutely find it apparent that we have to. It just ensures that when things all shake out, we're on the right side of things. You know, right. whoever ends up on top will be best friends with them. It would not be in our interest to not hedge our bets and and plan on at least being the first ones at the door to greet whoever ends up in power in Egypt. Of course, so that yeah. We're just kind of waiting for that to happen and then we're going to take a, take a stance once we see it kind of going one way or the other. Certainly. I mean, and, and, we've, and haven't we always done this? I mean, think about the unrest in Egypt going back uh, the last several decades and how we've always tried to calculate our movement so that they'd benefit us the most when things finally ended up. I think we were talking a little bit earlier about how the military is still not really thrown in their allegiance to either side. So it's almost like that's the tipping point. It's like as soon as the military chooses to ally themselves mm-hmm. with either the protesters or the Mubarak regime, then then that's kind of like the 
invitation for us to come in and be like, okay, here we are. Yeah, we, we must still have the receipts from all our guns. We must know exactly what we sold them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, you made a great point earlier that, I mean, in that video that we just played of Christine Ampour having kind of being shoved away from the, the mass of people in the, in, the, in the square, there's understandable reason why these people would be that upset at the United States. Oh, yeah. The video where they it's a lot of people in broken English saying, we hate American. You're a bad person. Go away. Like look, talking to Christiane mm-hmm. Amanpour as if she's the American in the room. Yeah. And it's a strangely <laughs> uh, set up clip. And it's and it's playing with no real clarification as to who exactly are these people? Which side are they on? And towards the end of the video, it's very unclear. But when they start talking to the camera and a few of them say, we we want Mubarak. We want Mubarak. And it sounds as though they're. They're pro Mubarak supporters, the same people responsible for punching Anderson Cooper and, you know, uh, you know, the ones right. throwing more of the rocks and, and being more uh, just violent. And, and and they don't make that clear at all in the ABC video. I mean, if, to a normal viewer, it just seems like there's one side to this. It's, you know, the people versus the government. And these are just the people, you know, right. you, you just told me something I didn't know. Anderson Cooper got punched. When yeah. did this happen? He got punched like 30 times. He got punched wait, wait, in wait, the wait. Face. wait, wait, wait. Somebody, somebody give me a little overview of this. So, I mean, he so the attacked. audience can know about it too. He and his crew were attacked filming. Oh, I'm sure people have read this. Closer. This is Sadly, this is one of the main stories they're, they're pushing because it's interesting. <laughs> we want to know what happens to Anderson Cooper's face. We're really concerned. And so, yeah, he, he got punched and apparently they all escaped with scratches. So he doesn't even have a black eye to show for this. And these were supposedly pro Mubarak supporters, which are largely being thought of as being you know propped up just the angry mobs that that resulted in uh gosh how many six people dying in like one skirmish i guess out in the square uh they they seem to be the the aggressors you know in terms of the the on the street violence and we're just not making that distinction in the mainstream media because it's so hard for us to wrap our heads around the fact that these egyptian people are saying they hate americans and the, yeah, and it's also very hard for us to wrap our heads around the, the just the general idea that these are people rising up against a corrupt regime. Instead, we have to throw in all these other things. Well, it's like, well, they're they're Muslim and and they destroy mummies. You know, they're destroying our tourism that we like to do as Americans. It's also when we go over it's also <laughs> hard for our media to report on complexities of a situation. We just like to do like very visceral, emotional polls yeah. and stories. So it, it really know. makes me wonder what the Tiananmen Square protests would have how they would have been covered today back then they were they were being true journalists they were reporting on things under the threat of of violence i mean Mm -hmm. the chinese army came in and was basically i mean some of them obviously had to stop reporting because they would have been killed if they if they did but i mean I just I just don't see that same kind of mindset now. And they said, you know, the, the Chinese government has come in and told us we need to stop broadcasting. Instead, now it's like the, the, the media is buying into this idea that a lot of these violent uh, Mubarak goons are somehow like part of this or uprising, you right. know, but they but they are in in a simple way, just versions of those Chinese army thugs who came out to Tiananmen Square and, and tried to shut down the press. Yeah. If they're punching Anderson Cooper out, I mean, it just I don't know. To me, it reeks of that. But I think maybe it's just trying to just provoke violence. I mean, yeah, in any in any way, yeah. yeah. Because once you start provoking violence, it it's you know it really doesn't matter who started it or right. how it just goes. Right. Mm-hmm. And speaking of violence, I mean, you you've seen we we were watching. I know you posted on Media Roots the clips of the people bowing down and praying on the bridge while That's they're being amazing. sprayed with fire hoses, and it's like who who's being violent here? Who has the access to the fire hoses? Who's who's causing 
the the pain and the suffering among the people who, down there. Who sold them the firehouses? <laughs> yeah, and do you remember? Do you remember that that? Um, I mean, if, if think about your life in Egypt. If you live in in, in, a, in an in an economy like that, that growing up as an American, we we just can't even you know conceive of in our minds. Just a more subsistence economy or more. I don't know. I had a friend who just went back to Egypt, and his his main like. Uh, rich people problem over there was that he couldn't get a good fancy meal out. The wine was terrible, you know, and he, he did not mention anything about political unrest or anything. He probably barely talked to anybody who was a native speaker. Looking up some information on Egypt's economy. Did you realize that during the nineties, the IMF made a series of arrangements with Egypt and they had a huge amount of debt relief coming from their participation in the Gulf War Coalition. Well, excuse me, I was five years old when the Gulf War happened, so I didn't know that Egypt really profited off of its involvement on, and it really b- boosted its economy. I mean, there's so many things that we are just not aware of. That's the first time I've heard that. I'm, I wasn't aware of that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in terms of how our, how our country is d- not dependent upon, but interlinked with the economy yeah, I mean, of Egypt and what we do politically is motivated by the dollar signs in a lot of ways, you know, in ways that I can't even begin to explain, not not being an economics professor. Yet it seems like Americans are so far removed from anything that has to do with like just Middle Eastern culture and politics. It's like so detached. Well, especially after 9-11. I mean, and not just that it's detached, but it's wrong. I mean, it's so, it's so misrepresented and distorted after 9-11. If you think about it this way, 9-11 happened at a time when the internet was breaking through to the mainstream. You know, it was when all the dot-com businesses were Mm -hmm. all over the place. And that, when the internet got so mainstream, it's an opportunity for whoever has nefarious purposes to rewrite all this history and start distorting the ways that we can perceive other parts of the world. Even Wikipedia articles on the Middle East, I mean, most of them are written by American and British people. Yeah, and people babysit them. You tell me about people who, who really just article sit and yeah. make sure that oh, they, yeah. it reflects Absolutely. their viewpoint. The Absolutely. Joe the Plumber article is a hilarious <laughs> example because... Um, it's just completely camped out by a group of psychotic conservative people who are in love with Joe the rah, Plumber. Rah, Joe and the all plumber. they do is edit anything out that says anything bad about him. Somebody was like, uh, I looked at the discussion thread and I said, well, why can't we talk about Joe the Plumber's death threats about all these politicians? Not relevant. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> completely irrelevant, actually. Oh, well, yeah. The, the fear of the Muslim culture is so strong. I was just talking to someone the other day and... He kind of posed the question. We were all at dinner and he was just like, well, why is Islam the only religion that like talks about killing yourself for God? And I was like, but that's not true. Yeah. Martyrdom is a, <laughs> is a conduit in like pretty much all faiths. Yeah. It's like some more than not, others. Yeah. And then he was just like, and why is it the only religion that makes women be subjugated? I was like, all religions <gasps> do. It was, like Every just single so, one. it was just so um, from like a just I don't know. Yeah, you read enough on Buddhism and you'll become disenchanted with its stance on what women are. Yeah, I was like, I was just really offended. I was I just mean, like, no, that's not true. And then he said the suicide bombing things that only only Muslim people do suicide bombings. It's like, that's not true either. Like, it's out of poverty and desperation. It's not because it's not religious oriented. So or, much ignorance. There's been several books written on this subject about, I mean, we we talked about this in our terrorism episode, but. There's a great book called Dying to Win, and it's a book basically breaking down all the statistics, you know, in the last 50 years um, of suicide terrorism and the mo- and, and, and the regional differences and the cultural differences between different suicide terrorist groups. And what this guy found is that statistically, it's not 
religion it's not religion that motivates people to become suicide bombers it's political strife it's it's some sort of desperation where they feel suppressed by some force political force the most prolific suicide terrorism group in the in the world are the tamil tigers in sri lanka they are not muslim Mm -hmm. they happen to be mostly hindu but that they're not doing it because of some sort of religious war Mm -hmm. it's completely political yeah that is absolutely denied by most or the the premise is wrong in most articles covering terrorism because it doesn't understand that one basic fact it's just funny that people think that that's terrorism it's like and what like pouring white phosphorus all over a country and like a depleted uranium is that that that's like way more crazy and it kills way more people like yeah. that <laughs> i mean just it goes back to what yeah you said it's like how is that not terrorism right. I mean, when it really comes down to it all of this is that the propaganda that they're laying out for us on this platter in you know, a sampler platter it's all about vocabulary manipulation mm-hmm. it almost goes back to our last episode where steven was telling us ways to manipulate your way of thinking or your memories. cause a certain reaction. This is not just manipulating your memories, but it's also, which they do do. I mean, they try to rewrite history all the time with Ronald Reagan and and like Muslims. Manipulating your perception, causing you to think a different way. And they use, and they do it, the key to how they do it is by using certain wording. Absolutely. Over and over again. Yeah. Well, if I could quote also, because I just looked it up and the premise that he puts out for why people commit suicidal terrorist attacks mm. or suicide bombings uh they they are based on one specific secular and strategic goal this is directly his quote it's to compel modern democracies to withdraw military forces from territory that the terrorists consider to be their homeland i mean yeah. what you what summed more it up perfectly is, is yeah. there and, and maybe in egypt the way we think of it is oh well there's something there's something different about the situation there but we have our fingers and all the pies over there everything mm-hmm. that goes on over there is somehow always linked back to us and our own monetary gain and posturing for how we want to take power over there and it's it's always shocking to me Lori, that people just don't see that it's like <laughs> the most obvious thing in the world you don't even have to like do any digging it's just mm-hmm. like okay who are we allies with why no, you know we yeah. fund them how, how many billion dollars a year and it's just like people just think that it's honestly like these weird just the whole 9-11 attacking us for our freedom thing it's almost like this yeah. base level understanding that's childlike you're you're conditioned to think in an artificially polarized way so that it's more easy to disseminate information to you that just easily reinforces the same story Absolutely. that we can all collectively believe and, the, and there's like an intellectual well, 20 minutes earlier we were talking about how if you do understand these things that that abby and Lori just said that it, we do have all these strategic interests and ties to all these countries for, for other reasons than we speak aloud. There's a group of people, a lot of them liberal, that I've ran into who kind of are like, well, of course, you know, we have to have the strategic interest there because if it, if we didn't, then that whole region would, would be total chaos. It's like I'm a grown up, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm well informed. So you're imperialist then. It's, I mean, it's almost like an armchair quasi-liberal imperialism. I, I don't really know how else to explain it. But I mean, this is kind of the viewpoint that's, that is pervade in, in magazines like The Economist. And yeah. even sometimes, I mean, Harper's. even though it's liberal, yeah, but Harper's kind of harnesses this viewpoint to an extent where it's like, yes, we do all these bad things, but we need to. It's the liberal you know imperialism. I mean? Yeah, it's like the yeah. neo, neo-liberal train of thought. Uh, one thing that I that's been coming to mind when I've watched a lot of these Egyptian protests is uh, how you know we talked a lot about how different it is from the way we covered the Iranian protests. But I remember during the Iranian protests, there was kind of like a of a, a figurehead, a martyr for the whole 
event, and her name was Nida Agha Sultan. She died on the streets protesting, and she was shot, and the world saw it. I mean, it was all over YouTube. It's one of the only like videos of someone dying in graphic detail you can watch on YouTube still to this day, besides JFK or the guy or the guy or who the shot him. Two people who just got run over by the Egyptian police. Exactly, which is what I was just gonna say next is that we've just watched today three videos of people dying on the streets in Egypt. Um, or probably dying totally in the case unarmed. of that one. Yeah. And it's not being talked about anywhere. Why? I mean, why were we propping up and showing this woman dying on the streets in Iran so often on the news and we don't we ignore this. Yeah, why can we go back to that and just make it clear that it, what kind of a car it was a strange kind of an armored car that yeah, we wouldn't like normally a, recognize. It was definitely a military It looked vehicle. militarized. Like Absolutely. maybe that's how their police cars look. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you watch that bridge. If you too. watch that bridge video where they're shooting yeah. the fire hoses and like that's the same car. It's oh, like, like a, a weird it's like a rectangle. It's like a it's like a minivan. Yeah. It looks different when it's running over people. It looks way more scary. Scion. Doesn't look like a big blocky. It looks like the van from the regulators in my mind. Not pink. Thanks so much for listening to Media Roots Radio, guys. Be sure to check out our SoundCloud timeline to follow all the links that we talked about, the videos, articles, and also the music that we played on the broadcast. Don't forget to donate to MediaRoots.org, and see you next week. Peace.